from Tokyo. It's Fun Radio from Japan. Hey everyone, welcome to Fun Radio, a weekly journey through some of the world's hidden treasures. Brought to you by me, I'm Chris Gilbert. For this debut series, we're in Japan, and we'll look at some of the things that are unique about life here but are often missed sped past in a bullet train or skipped in a quick 7 Eleven breakfast. On this season, you can expect entirely normal things like fuzzy dancing bears,、uh, turning cucumbers into little horses so that ghosts of your ancestors can ride home and visit you. Uh, doing ancient dances with old ladies in the middle of the city, and on today's show, eating the third stinkiest food in the entire world. In this story, we discover the island of Nijima, a time capsule, home of surfing, political exiles, and a particularly smelly fish brine, hundreds of years old. My story begins on a ferry from Tokyo. Early in the morning, way out at sea. The Selvia Maru, a huge, aging warhorse of a ship, lugs us eight hours through the night from Tokyo into the Philippine Sea. It's summer vacation in Japan, and the last minute ticket buyers missed out on seats and cabins. They spill onto the deck on tarpaulin sheets with chew highs, rice crackers, and beers. In the pre dawn navy light, bleary eyed children hang their arms over the railings, watching as Oshima, the first of the Izu Islands, approaches. Then, after it comes the cone of Toshima. But neither of these islands are our destination today. We're going deeper. We're on a challenge. A silly challenge, but. One I take earnestly, and I've come all this way to complete it. As Toshima fades behind us, finally we see it. Growing larger and larger, the mysterious black mound of Nijima. Nagaraku no gojo sen, o tsukare sama de shita. まもなく新島前浜港に到着いたします。We will soon be arriving at 新島前浜 port. Passengers disembarking there, please be prepared for getting off. For your own safety, Please remain seated until we make an announcement of disembarkation. We are now arriving at Nijima Island. Bye bye, Salvia Maru. By the time we dock, it's light. The straw fedoras are collected. Hundreds of surfboards wrapped in sheets and tight cotton blankies are tucked under hundreds of arms. And we walk the gangway onto the open dock and into the fresh island air. Yay, we're on an island. 
There's Mika, my best friend, translator, and actually the reason we're here. A few months ago, she challenged me to find and eat the stinkiest food in the country. And I don't know how well you know Japanese cuisine, but my mind went to natto, the snot-like fermented soybeans, or shiokara, the fermented squid guts, or okra, which is not stinky or fermented, I just don't like okra. But none of them really seemed up to the title of stinkiest food in a country of superlatives. So many surfboards. Yeah. Kind of made me wish I was a surfer. I know. Then one day, a surfer friend told me about this island, the birthplace of this apparently rotten fish, that was so putrid, so disgusting in smell. People had to stop making it in their homes. The word in Japanese for horrible, rotten smell is kusai. The challenge was to eat kusaya. On the island of Nijima, there is a tradition of preserving fish called kusaya. Now I'm up for a challenge. I'm usually up for a challenge, but I really wasn't looking forward to eating this food. All I knew about it was that supposedly it was preserved in its own guts or something. I mean, I wasn't convinced I could do it. I didn't want to put that in my mouth. Anyway, we'd have to search for Kusaya later. First, we needed a bed. Maybe they're not here yet. We were staying in a pension, and our host was supposed to pick us up from the port. They might not be here yet. Should we go sit down? Yeah. Oh my god, that guy has... He's skateboarding, holding a surfboard. Yeah, that seems pretty normal. But you can't get any more cool than that on an island. <laughs> Look at that. He needs like a parrot on his shoulder, and then it'd be perfect. <laughs> I've heard Nijima called the Hawaii for people who can't afford Hawaii. A derogatory statement, I thought, both for the place and the people who go there. Instagram promised me a semi-tropical experience, a kind of paradise on YouTube by over-enthusiastic bloggers and vloggers. What's the pension called? Um, uh, you wait here, I'll have a look. My first impression though was of a place far more real, far more grounded. Sloping green volcanic hills of broccoli-like trees. A moody grey sky which, while foreboding, didn't kill the summer party. A dark, nutrient-rich colour palette which hadn't been entirely harnessed by humanity yet. There was still wilderness here. I can see why people liken it to Hawaii, Mika said. The hills fold and collapse into the beach reminding me of the example used to teach me simile in school in New Zealand. The hills curve like loaves of bread. Perhaps a strange analogy for Nijima though, as most loaves of bread here are actually cute. The beaches here are white. The water is blue and transparent for meters. Coming from Tokyo, I immediately felt on Nijima no need for desire and that Nijima had no need for things like beautification projects. Nijima, it seems, just is what it is what it is. Hi. Hi. 
It was at this point that we were suddenly greeted by an old man in a fedora and a small child in blue speed dealers waving an orange sword and picking his nose with the words Seize Glory sewn into the back of his shirt. It was our hosts. The small boy with the orange sword would turn out to be the owner's grandchild, Yuto. His grandfather, Wataru, drove Mika and I through the dense green of the island, pointing out the main street, where to rent bicycles, the supermarket. I was distracted by other things though, such as the Easter Island-esque rockhead statues that were dotted randomly all over the place, and like these weird little pyramid sculptures I kept seeing everywhere, although Mika didn't seem to notice them at all. And in the distance, along the coastline, right at the water's edge, I could see the outline of... Is that the Parthenon? Wait, what the hell is this place? Oh, we've arrived. Kusaya no Sato, the home of Kusaya. We're staying next door to a Kusaya place. No, that is the Kusaya place. We're staying next door to the Kusaya place. That's amazing. Because that, that, that's the place that I linked you last night. And yeah. I was like, we've got to find that place. <laughs> we're that's right next literally door. next door to yeah. where we're staying. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. It did seem fortuitous, but also serendipitous, like fate. Like the world had brought me here in this moment and was telling me, you, Chris, yes, you, are meant almost by design to eat the stinky fish. That's actually incredible. Seaflower was a box of a house, but because of a hexagonal turret in one corner, its childish yellow paint job, and its location sandwiched between an airfield and a kusaya plant on a tiny island off Tokyo, the whole place had a really Wes Anderson vibe, like a storybook aesthetic, which actually quite attracted my middle-class sense of whimsy and longing for remoteness. We asked our hosts, Michio and Wataru, about the kusaya plant and if we could visit it, but... It's Obon. It's the summer holidays. The place is closed for the week. I guess fate doesn't really make things easy. The ocean around Nijima Island. The island people use a variety of seasonal fish in making kusaya. In springtime, the small fry dako fish arrive with the Japan current. During the rainy season, local fishermen work the nets, fishing throughout the night. Tobuyo, or flying fish, are also commonly used for making kusaya. Aomuro and muroaji, caught in the autumn, are also popular for use in kusaya. The fish are transported to the processing plants while they are still fresh. I could see that processing plant from my pension bedroom window, but, shogunai, it was closed. We would have to begin our hunt for kusaya elsewhere, so we decide to start in the most obvious place. We rent bicycles, it's summer, so we grab a bear and head back to the ocean, to the ferry terminal where we saw a small shop selling local fishy merchandise, including tan butterfly kusaya. 
While there I tried to catch my first whiff of their scent, but they're tightly sealed in vacuum packs. I could see my enemy, but I couldn't smell it. But we're lucky. The shop owner is there, Fuji Eisaku, who I'll refer to as Fuji-san, not to be confused with the world-famous mountain Fuji-san. Actually, we get double lucky. He's also the president of the Nijima Fisheries Co-op. Fuji-san starts showing us all the different kinds of kusaya in the store. Pre-cooked, raw, flakes, jarred. He tells us two important things. First, he says to prepare kusaya the proper and traditional way, you have to grill it. To eat it the proper and traditional way, you complement it with delicious island shochu, a Japanese barley or sweet potato-based alcohol. Fujisan then starts telling us the story of Kusaya's invention. But before that, I want to sidetrack for a moment. There's a French sociologist called Claude Fischler, who I'd never heard of before this story. But apparently he's pretty famous. In the late 80s, he published a work called Food, Self and Identity, which argues that everyone, you, me, everyone, approaches food, especially new food, subjectively, with our own set of cultural prejudices passed on to us through generations. He says not only do we define ourselves, our personal and group identities, by what we eat and how we eat it, but we other those who don't share our practices. Like, he says stuff like this. Food and cuisine are a quite central component of the sense of collective belonging. In some situations of migration, it has been observed that certain features of cuisine are sometimes retained even when the language itself has been forgotten. There's my friend James voice acting there. Thanks, Jimmy. Fischler also highlights and... Wait, sorry, I should probably turn that down. Okay, so, anyway. Fischler also highlights, and this is important for reasons I'll explain shortly, the remarkable ability humans have to adapt and change their eating practices. The human omnivore is able to live on the available foods. He can survive the disappearance of the species on which he previously fed. He can move about, change his ecosystem. Now why is this important? Well, let's go back to Fuji-san with his story. He's saying, in the Edo period, about 300 years ago, Nijima produced salt. But it couldn't keep that salt. It had to send most of it to Edo, current-day Tokyo, as tax to the shogunate. So there was not enough salt left on the island to preserve fish in the usual Japanese method of himono, which was common throughout Japanese culture. So the salt water brine 
that Kusaya came to be preserved in was invented by firstly reducing salt content to about 8%, 10% lower than the usual amount for preserving fish. And then, well in Japanese there's a phrase, motainai, which kind of means nothing goes to waste. They used that same brine over and over again, and over and over again again, for hundreds of years. The story of Kusaya's invention is the story of human adaptability. Fuji-san had ducked into a tiny back room behind the counter. I'm not really sure what he's doing. I lost track of the conversation, mesmerized by the Kusaya all around me, and thinking about that brine fermenting for hundreds of years. So many fish in and out every day, their oils soaking into the liquid, and the liquid soaking into the meat. The brine gets richer, it starts to smell, the fermented water strips away the bad bacteria. It turns the color of tea, then of a dark soup. The smell gets stronger. But the taste... So many products. Yeah. Stick up flakes. Uh oh. Fujisan returns. In his hand, a small plastic jar containing white strips of meat. It's Kusaya. The time had come. He opens the jar and hands it to Mika for a smell. <laughs> the scent wafted upwards and over my face. Lighter than I expected, but bold, potent and putrid. Oh god, I'm actually quite scared about this. I'm about to eat the stinkiest food in Japan. I wasn't ready. It had kind of been sprung on me. I felt like there'd be more of a build-up to this moment like it would be more dramatic, but why should there be? Kusaya's right here, and I guess it's time to eat it. Here we go, so there's a jar, a jar of little Kusaya bits. He's just getting a toothpick for one. Miki, can you put it in my mouth? Yeah, you wanna eat it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh god. <laughs> it smells like... It does smell like poo. Okay, try yeah. it. Challenge. Uh, yeah, challenge. Oh my god. Um, um, that's chewy. It's salty. Uh, it, it does taste a little bit like chewing on soiled undies. It tastes like chewing on salt undies. Mm, uh, so how is it? It's very chewy. I'm chewing. 
you chew it, the more flavor comes out. I was going to say, I'm chewing and I'm getting motto motto more and more flavor. It's not necessarily a good thing. Good luck. How is it? It's it's really smelly, but I think I like it. Yeah, you would like it. I'm surprised. Um, as I'm a little bit confused because it's not a pleasant flavor, but it's still enjoyable. He said it'll suck you in the more you eat it. We asked Fuji-san where a good quiet place would be to finish the interview. When he says ne, just a second, and goes to consult a colleague, I turn to Mika. Oh my god, that was awful. Oh my god. It actually wasn't that bad. No, that was bad. It was not that bad. I, I was trying to like be polite, but oh my god, that was actually like chewing on poo. Yeah, but actually like like not a bad poo. <laughs> like I definitely need a strong drink, but I think if you got drunk you would enjoy it. Yeah, I definitely think like if you're drinking shochu and you're eating that like and a really strong like sharp shochu it's like eating beef jerky except no this lasts longer than beef jerky in your mouth it won't break up in your mouth mm. so it's just releasing more and more flavor it's like pooey fish gum i really like it <laughs> i'm surprised yeah, you would mix it in with some umeboshi and some natto <laughs> and you'd be sick yum i tell you what i didn't i didn't hate it yeah no, I was expecting to like gag, but oh, what the aftertaste though! Honestly, that flavor is—it's gonna hang around for a while, I think. I kind of felt cheated by the anticlimactic kusaya experience. I felt like we had eaten it, sure, but we hadn't actually experienced it. Kusaya was meant to be grilled, he said. So, you know what? We're going to grill it. On the next night, our second and last on the island, we went to an actual kusaya shop. Disliking it on the first try, we thought, maybe let's have one bite each of kusaya hot off the grill, the way it's meant to be. But at the shop, they only had these huge whole fish, and we definitely didn't want that. Japan has taught us not to be wasteful, but we didn't have a choice. We bought one whole kusaya, a big, preserved, stinky, sun-dried, kusaya brine-soaked horse mackerel. Okay, so um, he's just bringing us a lighter. Oops, big mosquitoes. Yeah, can you bring what was that? That was not a mosquito. What is it? Uh, a giant mosquito. Our host Wataru helps us prepare the barbecue. We We're worried about oh, yeah. how much kusaya we have. 
We don't know how much of this we can eat, Tizmika. <laughs> don't worry about that, Wataru says. The two of you will eat the whole thing. Okay, so we've just put the kusaya on the... On the kusaya is on the grill. Oh, it smells good. I'm pretty stubborn. And between Mika's enthusiasm and Wataru's confidence, I was resolved. I did not like this fish. Well, I'm just wondering if it's actually ready. We just don't want to eat it. Like, do you have any desire to eat it? Yeah, I do, actually. Oh, I thought, I th- as backup, I brought us some little sausages. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. The fact that we named, described, and identified the mysterious ingredient was not sufficient for him to be able to overcome his distrust, and no doubt the disgust which the mere thought of possible pollution aroused in him. Next week on Fun Radio from Japan. This is the Kusaya blind, and see, when you stir it up, the smell. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> It smelled like someone had shoved a farm into your nose and sealed your nostrils. Um, I just ate a piece of cassia and I inadvertently said yum. I'm not that drunk. But the drunker I get, the more that, the better that tastes. Mm. Come back in a week to see how the story concludes. Fun Radio from Japan is researched, recorded, scripted, edited, mixed and presented by me, Chris Gilbert. Mika Riley is Fun Radio's interpreter, translator, social media manager and travel buddy. Thank yous for this episode go to the Nijimamura Island Museum for letting me use their audio. And of course to my voice actors, James, Yujiro, and Sue-sensei. Thank you to Kim Knight for pointing me towards Claude Fischler and to Shunsuke Hori for telling me about Kusaya. Fun Radio's theme music is Sakura Daijobu by Otoro. Please visit our website, funradiopodcast.com, to find out more about Otoro and for a full list of music credits. Fun Radio is non-profit. We spend hundreds of hours of our own free time making this, but have not been paid. We have no ads, no sponsors, and no backers. All of the costs, equipment, and travel have been self-funded. So, if you like what we do, and I know you hear this a lot, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and please tell your friends and family about us. Share Fun Radio on your social media, we have an Instagram at Fun Radio from Japan, and you can contact us at funradiofromjapan at gmail.com. If you would like to contribute further, you can visit our support page at funradiopodcast.com forward slash support. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week for the story's conclusion.